Our scripture lesson this morning is Daniel 6. Daniel 6, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 10. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. After a three-week hiatus, we are at long last returning to our glorious series in this wonderful book of Daniel. But before we do, let's pray. Father, do anoint our hearts and the lips that preach, the hearts that hear with grace, that we might receive Jesus Christ afresh in the sermon and then in the sacrament. As we've already prayed, we get the full meal of Christ today. We pray that you would be exalted in our midst and we'd be faithful in Jesus, in whose name we ask it. Amen. So after three weeks, let's review the contents of chapter 6 a little bit. Darius the Mede is now on the throne of Medo-Persia, and the the empire of Babylon is no more. He had come in there and taken over in 538 B.C. Darius had, after he ascended the throne, elevated three men to especially top places in the empire, and of course Daniel was one of them. As per usual, Daniel was far superior to all of his fellow officials who probably gave it their very best, but he was, as always, much better than them. And therefore, because of this, Darius had intended to promote Daniel even farther above even those other two high officials. So it would probably be putting him right under the king or the emperor himself. And of course, the other Medo-Persian officials became very jealous of Daniel, and they decided that they would scour all the books and see if they could find any political corruption in Daniel. Had he stolen any money? Had he been dishonest? Had he done anything wrong in his duties? And they can't find anything. And then they come to the peculiar conclusion that the only way to bring this man Daniel down, this odd, weird guy from Judea, this refugee, if you will, was according to verse 5b, in connection, something in connection with the law of his God. Isn't that interesting? So they try everything secularly, nothing works, and now they're actually going to go after Daniel's religion which turns out to be a very fatal move on their part and very dangerous. Now in verses 6 through 9, which Elder Wayne just read a few moments ago, we see detailed the scheme to both trap Daniel in his true faith and also to deceive Darius by preying upon his fallen pride and his vanity, if you will. 
And flattery and faith is a good title for our sermon today because we both see them both very clearly in today's scripture lesson. Flattery in verses 6 through 9 and faith in verse 10, where Daniel remains a devoted and resolute churchman despite his very life being put on the line. Therefore, in light of all this, let's make it our goal this Lord's Day to stay absolutely committed to our God in Christ alone. With that in mind, we'll be studying Daniel 6, 6 through 10. We provided you an outline, and the title is Flattery and Faith. The doctrine, all of us fallen sinners end up showing ourselves to be liars among men or lovers of God. And today's text is really a great illustration of this fact. Though the unregenerate people in the world do everything in their power to conceal their innate duplicity and falsehood, eventually it always comes out and is revealed. But for us who are regenerate Christian churchmen, we also struggle with this remnant of the flesh nature. We are not immune from it. But when we are placed under intense pressure by God, like Daniel was here, will he pray or will he not pray? Will he go to the lion's den or will he not? When that happens, we inevitably produce evidence of our real and actual love for God, which is a result of our genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So when you go through a real trial this week, recognize that as the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you are an elect churchman, you will survive it. You'll come through stronger. All of us fallen sinners end up showing ourselves to be liars among men or lovers of God. There, is, there are simply no other alternatives. Now, dears, I defy you to give me any other option, either from Scripture or from your own life experiences. Are there any other options when it really comes down to it? Even our Lord Jesus Christ himself made this abundantly clear in his speech to the unbelieving Jews, taken from John chapter 8, cited on your outline. There in verses 44, A and C, and 47, the Messiah said this, You are of your father, the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So all of humanity is broken down into these two camps that Jesus lays out here in John chapter 8. We are either inveterate liars or we are supernaturally made lovers of God. And yet, as redeemed people, we still struggle all the time with dishonesty and with falsehood. It is something we must wrestle with through our entire life because of our clinging corruption in Adam. But the more free we are in Jesus Christ as we hear that absolution, as we live in Christ, the more honorable and liberated we may be before God, ourselves, the church, and the rest of the world. All of us fallen sinners end up showing ourselves to be liars among men or lovers of God. There are no other alternatives. And the judgment day will reveal everything. Because even we religious sinners are very adept at hiding the truth about ourselves. It is necessary that from time to time, at certain critical junctures, some truths about us get revealed or come out. Now, in our class this morning, we made this point. God does not expect us to confess all our sins to everyone or to make reparations for them. He does not put us to shame. 
The only thing God does publicly with the professing Christians of the church is measure their covenant faithfulness, i.e., are they faithful in church on the Lord's Day according to the membership vows, covenant vows they took as acts of faith, barring some uh, legitimate excuse, of course. And so that is a blessed thing, that God is so gracious with us that that's what he does. He tests the genuineness of our faith to see whether or not we can or will continue to hear the gospel, even when it's difficult, even when it addresses our own sins and those things we don't want revealed. And the preaching of the gospel of grace from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. So what happens is liars flee and lovers stay. It always works that way. You can count on it every single time. And that is our gauge. But for all the rest of the world, the great day of judgment will be where all the thoughts and intentions of every heart will be made completely manifest. And I reference for you Luke 12.3. Now, on the judgment day, you regenerate members of the redeemed church who know yourselves still to be sinners, who know that you still struggle with sin, who understand that in this world you will never be without the clean flesh corruption, who understand that this is always going to be a struggle. Here's the good news for you. On the judgment day, you will hear not one word from God about your sins. As they are remitted in Jesus Christ, and as that promise is absolutized to you in absolution in faithful churches on Sunday in the worship services, you may know that your sins are gone. On the judgment day, you will hear these words from the Messiah taken from Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But for the damned, those who hate God, who resist him, who run from him, who break their covenant those who have nothing to do with God, they will hear these words from that same Messiah taken from the same 25th chapter of Matthew at verse 41, where he will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Is there a lot at stake in the church life? You bet there is. And this explains a lot of things. Let's look at the text, verses 6 through 10, chapter 6, Daniel. And learn together how the redeemed churchman is to navigate flattery and faith. Because we live in this fallen world, we, even the members of the forgiven church, must learn how to bob and weave our way through the mess down here. We're not immune from all the problems in the world. Obviously, we know that, don't we? Everything that happens in the world in some form affects us too, even though we're in charge of it. But never fear, dear saints, those who are loved by the Lord and who therefore love God in Jesus Christ will never be left alone and never left to the condemnation of the world that judges you and damns you. It means nothing to God and should mean nothing to you. Even those condemnations that come from our most wily foes and enemies through our living faith in Christ, then let us now comprehend how the redeemed churchman is to navigate flattery and faith. First, by expecting trouble in this world, verses 6 and 7. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So there's a lot to absorb here, dears. And if you want to take some notes, this is where you might want to do it. First of all, these high officials, or as Elder Wayne's edition had it, presidents, I wonder if that's an older edition, not sure, but these high officials and others, satraps and governors, they conspired together to destroy Daniel. Here's the best man in the kingdom, but they have to get rid of him because he's honest, he's worthy, he's different, he's supernatural, he, he belongs to God, so they've got to kill him. So they conspire together. It says in verse 6a that they came by agreement. So they meet together at the Medo-Persian diner somewhere, and they decide, hey, how are we going to do this? Let's come up with a plan. Secondly... These Medo-Persian bureaucrats lie to the king Darius in verse 7, where they claim that, quote, all the high officials are agreed, unquote, about this plan. That isn't true. In fact, Daniel was one of the three highest officials, and he had nothing to do with this plot whatsoever. So they come to the king, and they bald-facedly lie to him. This helps explain why King Darius was happy to throw them into the lion's den, where their bones were all crushed before they ever reached the floor. He was not happy about that, and you can't blame him. They had indeed agreed, but not Daniel. It was a plot to pander to Darius's ego, and remember that not just these big emperors in the old days, but everybody's kind of given to ego issues, right? So some people come to you, oh, you're so great, king, you're so great that we're gonna, we want you to make a law that nobody can pray to any god or any man except to you. You're so great. And of course he's like, oh, sounds pretty good. Right? So he fell for it. Thirdly, Darius the king really, though, should have smelled a rat from the very beginning by observing that his best civil servant, Daniel, was not among this rabble that showed up at his door with this evil scheme. Should have known, but he didn't. And we can cut him some slack there. Fourthly, the conspirators capitalize on Darius's vanity through their insincere insinuation that they are, quote, honoring him, unquote, by Darius being prayed to alone for 30 days, as verse 7b relates. And lastly, the wicked Medo-Persians' real motive for all of this is finally revealed at the end of verse 7, where we read the words, shall be cast into the den of lions. That's what they really wanted to get to. That was the end goal. Now, the world, dears, wishes to cast you and me into its den of lions, too, today. And they might succeed, as they did with Daniel. After all, did Daniel not end up in the lion's den? Well, obviously he did. But even there, we may be assured that God is with us, and he will bless us and keep us. And he will protect us as he deems it wise. 
And our enemies will be the ones that get consumed by their own devices, as they do at the end of this chapter. They get crushed in the lion's den. So how the redeemed churchman is to navigate flattery and faith. Let's be realistic. Expect trouble in this world. We don't live in a nirvana. We live on a fallen planet with real sinners and lots of trouble, lots of dishonesty and lies. Secondly, next, by enduring hardship in this world, verses 8 and 9. Where we read, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So they had this weird law in this way about them that if they sign their law, that's it. You know, that's sort of the ultimate thing. It's carved in stone, can never be changed. So hardship, there's, is endured by the true saints of the church as we have to patiently live through periods of injustice and bad laws as that law that Darius was conned into signing on that day there in the Medo-Persian Empire. The good news is that bad laws never abide forever since they're self-destructive. So even though wicked people make bad laws and they think, this is forever carved in stone, that's not true. God will destroy that nation or that kingdom, that realm, that culture if necessary to get rid of those bad laws. They will not last. They're self-destructive. But the bad news for us is that we, the saints of the church, do have to live under these demonic laws for a time. As we're doing today, we're living under a number of horrible demonic laws of the state and the nation. But more substantially than that, more good news than that, is that as believers in Christ and the Bible and as Reformed believers... We understand that Jesus Christ is the king over everyone and all things. Over even the wicked, over the devil, over the horde of demons, over every bad law. Jesus Christ is crowned the God-man sovereign, and he rules over it all. And ultimately, all of this stuff is only designed conspiring for our good, just like it turned out for Daniel. Although in the meantime, it's really bad. Okay, let's face it, it's scary, it's bad, it's dangerous. Lives are on the line. It's not good. So when the saints of the church are required by evil men, and even in a sense by God himself, to persevere through difficult, dangerous, and humanly impossible laws and stipulations, we can and do accomplish this feat through our supernaturally given to us faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, which issues forth in our love for God and our willingness to endure whatever it is he calls us to undergo, even no matter how difficult and hard it may be. The world thinks very arrogantly that their wicked and God-dishonoring laws, quote, cannot be changed or revoked, verse 8. But in fact, they always are and that by the true King, Jesus Christ the Lord. So we're looking at how the redeemed church is to navigate flattery and faith, expect trouble, endure hardship, and finally, by remaining steadfast in this world. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Now, I think verse 10 is one of the greatest verses, not only in the book of Daniel, but really in the whole Bible. What a great verse. I I put it down there as your key verse. It's such an important one that I plan to recapitulate its use in next Sunday's scripture lesson and sermon, Lord willing, as we continue in this chapter. So Daniel hears that his friend, King Darius, had unwittingly and unwisely signed this silly, ridiculous law that he alone would be prayed to for 30 days. And the very first thing that Daniel does is not worry, not fret, not wring his hands, not think about it, not contemplate, not seek counsel, not do anything except go home, blatantly disobey the law, honor his God, who has the higher rule, and carry on as he always had. Didn't change a thing. Daniel employed the Martin Luther principle, who was asked, I've told you before, what would you do if you knew this was the last day and the judgment was going to come? He said, I'd just do the same thing I always do. Spend time in prayer with God, go out in my garden, do my ministry, change a thing. When are going to change Daniel? Now this text, verse 10, reminds us of the great principle in the Bible of legitimate Christian civil disobedience. And it comes from the words of Peter, found in Acts 5.29, where he boldly declared, we must obey God rather than men. Remember back in Acts, they had said, now quit talking about Jesus, quit Jesus talk, quit it, quit it, quit it, quit it. And the very first thing they do after being told not to do it is they go right back and do it again, willing to suffer whatever consequence. Why? Because there's a greater lawgiver, a greater king who must be obeyed. And don't you ever forget that either. You don't have to bow to the worlds or the cultures or the nations or the state's wicked laws either. Try not to make a big deal of it if you can avoid it, but if it comes down to it, know that you are not bound to them. And just like Daniel had to experience it, today the world is seeking to force us into its monolithic doctrine of self-righteousness. And they will broach no opposition, and there's no room for debate, No room for freedom, no room for discussion, and no room for expression or faith. It's out. That's the world we are living in. Let's face it and see in God's providence that he brings us to a text like this and subsequent ones that deal exactly with what we're having to go through. So... If we will not bow to this new God, this deity, this false gospel, they will make us pay. Okay, they're going to throw us in something, some lion's den, take our jobs, whatever, not let us go to school, whatever it might be. They'll find some way. But, of course, we who love God and Jesus Christ are not going to submit to them, to their laws, to their God, or to their demons or their false gospels. We will obey our God in Jesus Christ alone. The king who reigns and rules and has legitimate authority, we will obey him. He's known to us through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Notice, too, that Daniel, quote, gave thanks before his God, unquote, here in verse 10. 
even in the very midst of this horrible and treacherous situation. You know, dears, that supernatural faith in Christ is capable of keeping the Spirit's injunction given through Paul, as we read in the New Testament reading today, found in 1 Thessalonians 5:17 and 18, which says, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So even in this very difficult circumstance, Daniel continued to give thanks. He didn't say, oh God, you know, I'm in such a terrible place, now I can't thank you. I'm, thank you yesterday when I was on top of the world, but now I'm, uh, you know, I'm in trouble, my life's going to be taken, I'm throwing the lion's down. No, he kept giving thanks. Let me tell you, you maturing saints, the more you can do that, great evidence that you're growing in Christ. And my prayer for you is to just grow a little bit more. Lord's day to Lord's day. Let's do some more application this morning and understand how severe trials benefit the true church. All of us who have been in Jesus for very long in his church know that this is clearly taught in Scripture, namely that hardships forge us into stronger Christians if we respond to them in faith in Jesus and resulting love for God. If. Not perfectly, but as we grow in that. Therefore, using Daniel as a main exhibit, let us peek behind the curtain and see how severe trials benefit the true church. First, by weaning us off false senses of security. W-E-A-N-I-N-G, which basically means to, to mature us off of it and to leave it, to move on to something better, to grow up, if you will. Now, could Daniel not have rested in his exalted position and viewed it as a soft cushion, thinking he had already arrived in this world, and that he could now sit back and relax and take it easy? From what we know of Daniel, that thought never entered his mind. Every day when he woke up, whether he was on top of the Medo-Persian Empire world and bureaucracy as one of the top guys, or the next day he's condemned because he worshipped and prayed to his God, no matter what it was, Daniel kept a militant stance. He did not relax. He did not assume that Satan wouldn't do what he could to bring him down if he could. False senses of security are never good for the true church of Christ. And this, dears, is one of the reasons why God, your loving Heavenly Father, sometimes places you and me in very difficult, tough, may I say, humanly impossible, very dangerous situations and circumstances from time to time. Not all the time, but from time to time. We cannot trust our bank accounts our nation, its laws. We cannot even trust ourselves. The only person, human being, we can trust implicitly is the God-man, Jesus Christ, alone. We can trust our fellow Redeemerites and faithful churchmen, but only Jesus gets our implicit trust. We can trust him. And as we do so, we will overcome every obstacle that's placed in our way by the grace of God. By weaning us off false senses of security, 
we are forced to engage Christ and his and our faith in reality. And this isn't a bad thing to be forced to engage Christ and our faith in reality. It's a good thing. After all, Daniel was humming along just very well, very fine, but he never assumed that things would always be that way, that someone wouldn't try to destroy him. He understood that the principle that we read in the New Testament, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, that we have the privilege not only of reigning with Christ in this world, but also suffering with him. You can read about that in Romans chapter 8. Daniel's contentment and happiness was never in his great job, his high and exalted position in the Babylonian and later the Medo-Persian empires. Rather, it was always in Yahweh, his and our hope, our God, and our truth. And this Yahweh Lord is revealed more clearly for us in the New Testament as Trinitarian, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the covenant of redemption in time immemorial past, beyond our ability to fully understand, the Father planned the salvation of the elect church. It was agreed that the Son would execute the deeds to accomplish it, i.e. die for us, become a man, die for us, shed his blood, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven. The Holy Spirit would apply the atonement to the elect church's souls when they were dead and rebellious against him, bringing new life to them. This great covenant was made, and it was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And for all who will believe this gospel, this truth, this Lord Jesus Christ, there is life, hope, joy, peace, grace in every good thing, and also trouble, but nothing to be worried about. Everything to trust God in and through. Let us be thankful, like Daniel was, for Christ's blood, which was shed for us and for him. And let us rejoice in our resurrection life in Jesus Christ right now as we live in the first resurrection, that of our regenerated souls. And give God glory and live in faith in Jesus. Beloved, flattery and faith are polar opposites, but everyone is on one of the two poles. Because of sovereign grace through God, the true saints are able to withstand flattery or lies and live by faith in Christ. Flattery and faith, let's pray. Father, thank you for that fact. It's a great thing. Darius was taken by the flattery, but Daniel was strong in the faith. And Daniel was good to Darius. And Darius learned from his mistake. We pray that we also would recognize that we are prone to all of these very same things that Daniel had to go through. And yet we need not fear. Our sins are forgiven. We're washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We have every good and perfect thing in Jesus, and now we get to enjoy him at the table of the Lord. We thank you in Christ alone. Amen.